Welcome to All Power to the Developing, a podcast of the Eastside Institute, where social justice, human development, and community building come together. This is where you will meet activists, artists, teachers, scholars, helpers, and healers who are bringing creativity, hope, and possibility to individuals and communities all over the world. today we have two great guests with us that are zooming in with us all the way from brazil representing plato cultural we have today with us francine Kleeman, who is the founder and director of plato cultural and today she's here with her colleague marcio donadel who is the head of education and also an artist researcher at plato cultural good morning both of you hello good morning it's a pleasure good morning. to be yes yes how's everything going with you two how's everything on your end good it's uh, it's winter in brazil i'm calling from uh florianopolis which is an island in the south the southern of brazil it's uh, sunny and uh i could say warm a little bit and but i'm about- calling from porto alegre which is a bit uh further south from florianopolis and it's also a sunny day it's a bit hot for a summer day <laughs> Yes, and I'm here in Brooklyn, New York, and it has been super hot to the mm-hmm. point where sometimes you have to, you need to drink a lot of water because dehydration can really creep up on you. And it's so interesting mm-hmm. that we're talking about um, weather and climate because this is kind of an area that you two really specialize in. Yes, yes. So we, a plateau culture creates immersive experiences in education, uh, focusing on SDGs and our main, our flagship project which is, I think, the project that really made Plato Cultural, you know, uh, become what it is, is this cool thing possible, which is an um, uh, immersive learning adventure for primary school kids about climate change. We've been piloted it in, in 2021, and it's been quite successful. It's been expanding in Brazil and also in the UK. Um, yeah. And this project has um, uh, originated kind of a learning approach uh, arts-based, play-based learning approach that we have called the learning adventures. Mm-hmm. The learning adventure. Take it back to the beginning for me. Was this always kind of the goal to create this program that used technology in this immersive form? Or was this something that emerged out of some something else for you? Like, um, Francine, you, you had the opportunity to be in Europe from 2016 to 2020, 2016 to 2020 working on various cultural products and doing artist residencies throughout England and Europe. Did that impact uh, the creation of Plato Cultural? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm my background is in theater. So I worked in theater for many, many years before I moved to Europe. I founded a company called Teatro Geográfico. Uh, we worked many years creating site-specific work, occupying non-conventional buildings and doing a work which I lately, later, discover that would I could call it immersive theater, but there was there wasn't that name, you know, then. 
but it was all about the experience of the audience, the dramaturgy of the space, and exploring non-conventional formats. So I moved to Europe in 2016 to do a master and to deepen my research in immersive experiences. And that's when I studied at Goldsmiths. And after I finished my master's, I, I founded Plato Cultural, and that was incubated at Goldsmiths University. And I spent some years trying to figure out what Plato Cultural was, but I knew I wanted to work around immersive experiences or, and, um, you know, uh, placemaking or, or focusing on the experience of the, of the audience and the experience of the communities, but trying to slowly get out of the bubble of theatre and see how that could impact education or how can do, could that impact um, communities uh, and, and um, have a social impact. Um, so yeah, I, I did many, I, was, I spent two years at Goldsmiths in, with the project being incubated. I did some artist residencies, site-specific residency in Copenhagen, which informed a lot but I do, I learned a lot from the residency and the pandemic made me move back to my home country and not only the pandemic, but many other reasons, uh, the, you know, the, the desire of being closer to family and, and to, to my country. And, and then I, that's when I connected to Marcia and we started exploring, uh, you know, this research around immersive theater and education, arts-based placemaking, and throughout the research and thinking how could Plateau Cultural, you know, what would be Plateau Cultural in Brazil? We were um, um, commissioned by ITEC to create School of the Impossible. So we were, I was, we were exploring how immersive theatre could work in education, could transform education then. And the opportunity, the commission was looking for projects that would work around, projects around the road that would be tackling climate change through art, through art education. It could be in schools or in communities. So we saw that opportunity for us to um, create a project and implement a project around the research we were developing. Uh, and they selected us and then I felt like, okay, now we have to do it. <laughs> we had just an idea then, which was like, you know, we had just basically an idea of, you know, bringing a fictional set into the classroom, which was all about a fictional uh, organization from the future, communicating with the kids and inviting them for an adventure. And that was our starting point, which opened up a beautiful co-creation process, which made School Thing Possible be what it is today. Don't know if you have anything else to add, Marcia, on, on that little, big, not little, big story. Yeah, Mar like, yeah Marcia, Marcia, like, where were you, um, Francine kind of linked up with you? Where were you in your, your life or where were you before you got with this project? Well, I'm a teacher. Uh, I'm also an artist. I'm uh I have a background in performing arts and uh, my background also is also in research. So I have a master's and a PhD in performing arts. And I spent an internship period at Coventry University for my PhD. And I was developing a, a, a learning approach an embodied learning approach. And it was more oriented to the artistic field. But then after uh, connecting with Francine, we uh, started to 
develop that into a uh, learning approach that could be uh, easily or, uh, I mean, beautifully uh, uh, done for elementary school. So then that's where I uh, joined the work, uh, giving this educational background and also working on the impact assessment. So uh, my background is also important for the teaching teacher training program since I uh, worked as a university teacher for a period of time. So then uh, I think we joined forces and uh, different backgrounds, but at the same time with uh, important touching points to develop uh, this multi-layered experience that we found would be the School of the Impossible. And it allowed us to expand it into other projects as well. So then it's becoming uh, uh, kind of a robust background and uh, with uh, so many collaborators in Brazil and now around the world so it's really uh it's really been quite quite an accomplishment for such a short time yeah, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so very, we are very yeah reading happy about the about work this. it's very amazing that so much all of this emerged out of like two or three years um that's very impressive when i read about this um you you get commissioned to the work now you have it now you you have to create these worlds talk about that that conception process um i can only imagine what it's like to have this grand idea in your mind and now you kind of have to create it in this immersive environment what is that conceptual process like for you um yeah so yeah it started as a seed like it's just a, an idea and then uh we 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 created the whole pilot not only in co-creation between our team but also with iTech team, which would be having monthly meetings. We were be collaborating with uh, climate scientist Diana Lieberman from Arizona University, wow. which helped us to shape the, the the curriculum around how to teach about climate change to kids. Also, we were exchanging the uh, ideas and 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 strategies, and with the other commission artists, which were uh, working the same topic in their own communities and with the iTech team, of course. And we were also collaborating with the schools we were working with. And I always tell this story that I had to sit um, with the, in front of the department of the Secretary of Education with just an idea. I didn't have anything and, 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 and say like, well, I have this project. I want to do it. And I need you to open your doors and co-create with us. And, and he said, yes. So in other situations, I would say like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, it's insane. I'm not going to do it. But, you know, having the courage to kind of say like, no, I, I'm, I'm confident that this is, this is a good um, idea. And, and, and then we started a co-creation process with the schools we were working with the schools that also embraced the project. So why I'm saying that is that we discovered a way, a process of working which we called plateau in a way, which is a balance between the artistic, the education and the impact. So it doesn't really matter which part, which corner you move, they all, it's, they all affect each other. So our, the contributions from Diana affected our creative, 
process and the script and the design of the experience. The design of the experience affected how we will be connecting with the communities. The contributions from the teachers from the local context. Oh, we've got like for as for example, they saying there is a green space next to the school, and we thought, okay, that's going to be the portal then because it's important for us to include a green space that is from the community and that informed the design. And then the teachers saying like, I want the other teachers from the other disciplines to participate. Okay, so we're going to create an experience which just crosses all the disciplines and they helped us to kind of, you know, entangle it all. So so it was all a, a, a very balanced dialogue between these two parts. And of course, the, the not and not least important, but as important was the impact evaluation, which were shaped from the beginning. We didn't start and design the process and then we thought about impact. The impact informed the design. What impact we want to have? Short, medium and, and long-term impact. Mm. And then we, we designed the whole impact and we were looking at the, the design and the script. Is it informing? Do we need to move anything? And finally, I think our big, big motto was how can we create new ways of looking at the world through imagination and through bringing a fictional world to the classroom. So uh, it was all about an invitation for kids, teachers, us, iTech, the community to play together so through the lenses of the fictional world to learn new ways of looking at the reality and at the world we are living now. Yeah. Marcia, do you want to include anything, any thoughts on the process? I think you have uh, described it beautifully. Yeah. And uh, I think I could add that all of these uh, uh, points of view, like action points, the fictional narrative, the social impact, education and active methodologies, technology, they all uh, offer us uh, avenues for a further exploration and collaboration. So uh, we ha we have developed kind of a, a, a mind map. So, okay, this is what we do and this is how we do it. But once we dive into the possibilities, we go uh, into exploring what the fictional narrative can impact. We have uh, different points of view on social impact in different countries, uh, active methodologies and uh, more modern uh, learning approaches. What's the background? What 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 does it impact on? Uh, and how does technology evolves in that? Uh, uh, it uh, brings us new opportunities. Is it used wisely? So this, all the questions that arise from each of the uh, um, points of attention of our approach are very rich. So it's endless if we <laughs> look at it. I think just to conclude, I think it, one important thing is that, yeah, we, we do have an, you know, a narrative. Okay, so there is a, a, a fictional setting, which is Massami Alamer and Jupiter Bus talking from the Arctic Lighthouse, 2073, calling the students who became agents of SOS, open portal to sustainable futures, help them to activate the portal and protect it through writing the books and the new narratives that can change our planet. So the students engage in different missions throughout three to four months, guided by a digital platform and this circular bookshelf that mysteriously appear in their classroom. So there is a set narrative 
with a set of activities that happen in each episode, um, educational and fictional narrative. Uh, but uh, it's all behind that, there is a laboratory which we are inviting teachers and Department of Education and researchers to think, how can we transform education through this approach? So although it's fiction, it's not like, okay, do that and implement. It's like, join us in the laboratory. Use that as an opportunity for us together. It's not, it's not us carrying this, this kind of amazing, this diamond all, get it. No, it's us inviting them to our game, which is a game of, of, of the experience of like, let's trans, let's, the project has an impact in empowering students they see themselves as, as agents of change. They get empowered to protect their local communities, become guardians of their local environments. Yes, they, they engage with the topics in a more emotional way because they are they they have they are protagonists of their learning process. They are protagonists of the narrative. But it's also an opportunity for us to review how schools are shaped, how we how we teach, what are the necessary schools necessary excuse for the education in the future. Yeah. Is that dialoguing with what we need in the future? So it's kind of like a laboratory. That's why we say it's a co-creation. It's not just a project, it's an action research project because we are constantly understanding us as well. It's also learning for us. We are we are learning every day <laughs> uh, what impact it has, where, where else can we go, you know? Yes, yeah, I love I love how you're speaking about the evolution of of kind of not only your program but education in itself. Um, you know, uh, um, going into certain classrooms now, I notice they're using a little bit more technology, smart boards instead of the classic chalkboard, or sometimes implementing VR to take kids on different types of field trips that they can't access before. While in large part, it seems that you're having a lot of success and people are identifying with the program and its building is getting bigger and bigger. What is the overall landscape of education in Brazil? Is, is Marcia, you were talking to me earlier and you were giving me kind of the dichotomies between uh, the private schools and the public schools and some of the other uh, ways politics kind of has a, a grip on the school systems. How does that, how mm -hmm. does that kind of um, parallel with now you guys bringing this new form of education into the system? Perfect. Uh, let me uh, tell you some things that I have uh, been thinking. Sure. Uh, uh, education in Brazil is seen as a fundamental right. And uh, uh, looking from the individual development, social, cultural, political, and economic perspective. And uh, in the Brazilian context, uh, elementary education is provided by both public and private schools. The public schools are open access, widely accessible to the entire population. And private schools require payment. So then uh, we face inequality. Public education varies most in terms of quality depending on the school's location and access to resources. So we focus working with public schools be because our goals are centered around inclusion and uh, uh, improving access to more modern methodologies for the most vulnerable segments of the population. So we uh, have uh, a diverse educational uh, background from uh, ranging from conservative to progressive and innovative approaches. But uh, 
there's so much work to be done, especially for vulnerable communities. And sometimes a vulnerable uh, 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 school can be next door to a rich private school and not uh, as far away as we may think. So uh, uh, we involve uh, uh, embedding critical subjects such as the sustainable development goals and we try to blend the creativity and the technology to also deal with the exclusion problems and inequalities. And we also aim to explore the artistic expressions and try to uh, 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 reveal their uh, relevance and how they connect with active methodologies and how all of this is useful and a great context for the, the elementary education because uh, we think that uh, the childhood experiences uh, are uh, connected with the artistic way of doing, of being, of doing being. And so uh, thinking as myself as an artist, I can see the playfulness in childhood connecting to our ways of being not uh, not only as teachers or i mean the as thinking as an adult but also finding myself discovering the uh beautiful uh, uh possibilities of art in education so and then we are also dealing with uh incredible challenges such as you know systemic challenges such as student dropout disengagement lack of self-confidence and so uh, once we find uh, ways to embed uh, and use creativity in the uh, across the curriculum, we may find some solutions or help so, uh, solve some systemic problems. Yes. Thank you so much for um, enlightening us on you know the education system in Brazil. Um, it's you know, it's it's pretty sad to, for me, still hear about the inequalities that the youth still face today. And, you know, to know it's not unique to just one country. It's worldwide that, unfortunately, our youth are having to face some of these various issues. But it's great that um, you two have created a program that gives them a lot more support and, and provides them with a fun, engaging experience and learning. Um, Throughout the time I've been speaking to you both, you've used the word play a lot. And play is something that we use a lot in various different ways. But I'm very curious to explore that kind of the relationship to play in Brazil. Every country kind of sees play in a different way. Some countries are a little bit more serious. Some countries don't really uh, acknowledge play so much. Some countries are more playful, some are less playful. How is play kind of... Um, how is play kind of related to in Brazil, um, or maybe in your experiences as a Brazil? How is play related to? Start with play has uh, a number of words in Brazil for the same word play in English. So uh, we uh, have uh, different meanings, and these different meanings have specific words. So play in theater is one word. Play as a child is another word. Play an instrument as a musician is a different word for that. So there are so many meanings that in the end are 
uh, in the word play. And I think we uh, surf in those meanings <laughs> somehow. It's kind of knowing what kind of play we're playing. And, uh, but I think we are looking at the play in as a child first, how to play a game or to uh, uh, do things playfully and then connecting the play as an actor, the play as a musician, play uh, in other meanings as well. What do you have on that for us, Francine? I think I can talk more about our approach, you know, at, like how do we, uh, how do we, I think, you know, um, when we, we are now running a teacher's development program at, uh, at um, you know, this, the system of education of San Jose here in Santa Catarina. And we are, we come and we are like teaching them or uh, sharing, not teaching, sharing our play-based learning approach. And we always say like, this is our, the way we frame it. This is our, the, the way we use play in education. It's not the only way and it's not the best way. <laughs> it's our way. Um, and our way, the way we bring play is to bringing fantasy to the classroom, to bring, to playing with imagination, to playing, to bringing a fictional setting to the classroom and inviting the kids to play, to be the protagonists, to, uh, and through, and through, and to see the world through the lenses of this fictional world or through the lenses of imagination. So play allow us to do that, to, to, to go out of the box, to see the world differently, to, uh, to create new layers, to, to imagine new possibilities. And, and, and that's what, what we always say is true. Um, we act in the real world through the imaginary world. Uh, and, and I think that's so necessary because thinking about the, the myths of reality, which we tend to say, this is the real world, this is the reality, but there's so many other different ways of seeing the world, imagining the world, uh, which is different than the, the dominant narrative, which we are used to live. And, and it's an invitation for the kids to explore new ways, new possibilities. Um, and and I think this this active engagement as well of them. This is one thing. The other thing is the way they engage, which is which is through the body, through the senses, and and how the play uh, involves the students in a more um, emotional, active. Um, and I think Marcia can talk more about that. I like I think the play in terms of how we set the the learning environment and the play in how we invite the kids to engage with it, um, which I think yeah, you can contribute. <laughs> sometimes the the issues we are dealing with, like climate change or emerging uh, in, uh, important social issues, they are they have this uh, uh, weight. They are heavy. And maybe if we look at the future, the way it's going, maybe it's uh, not quite a positive view. Once we enter uh, uh, this uh, fantasy world or imagination world, we can, we are free to think about what if, yeah. what if we could, 
what if we would we could do better what if if i what if i were somewhere else and i had this superpower and then this uh dialogues with the childhood and then all of the topics become lighter more positive and then we have a range of alternatives that maybe we wouldn't if we were only uh thinking about the facts yeah. or and I'm making projections about the future and then once we do uh hands-on activities uh and merge them with uh technology we uh sparkle embodied thought and then uh they it's not only learning by experience but also thinking through moving thinking through the body and then this uh the artistic and uh uh the artistic approach allows us to uh be multiple and not have just one uh line of thought we can uh make it uh wider yeah. and enhance the possibility definitely break you you open up the spectrum of thought when you could go anywhere you want to go definitely when we come back um from our little commercial break we're going to be speaking about some of these learning adventures and maybe we'll get immersed ourselves and take a little journey ourselves to see what some of these learning adventures are like we'll speak a little bit more about the experience how sensory is involved and i want to get the viewpoints on today's world of technology and how they feel about that we'll see you back on all power to developing right after this commercial break Melissa Meyer, Associate Director of the Eastside Institute. Welcome to All Power to the Developing. I hope you're enjoying today's conversation. In each episode, we introduce you to some amazing performance activists, play revolutionaries, and developmentalists from around the world who talk to us about their creative grassroots efforts to build a better world. If you like what you hear, please follow and share the series. You can find us on Amazon, Spotify, and Podbean. We'd love to hear your comments and ideas. Like everything at the Institute, the growth of all power to the developing depends upon the people who create it and benefit from it. We hope you're one of them. Thanks for your support. And now back to our conversation. are back all power to the developing i'm here with francine and marcia um i would like to share something um i think it was a couple of months ago i had the uh, opportunity to go to a national geographic um exhibit that was for king tut and it was an immersive experience they had things on the walls and you felt like you were in the tombs and the tunnels and then i went to one room and they had a vr um headset and uh, you put it on and it was like a tour through the tombs you know i was sitting completely still in a chair but i felt like i was moving and flying and going inside the 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 the, the tunnels and i said man this is amazing like i can't imagine going to different places using this experience um i wanted to even buy one and then i saw the price and i said okay maybe i need to wait um <laughs> Um but that experience was 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 amazing and I'm an adult you know like so 
you're bringing this into the world with the, with the kids. Can you speak a little bit about these learning adventures in the classroom? Like, could you describe um, some of them for us and kind of like the activities that go with them? Yeah, sure. So I'll invite you to imagine you are a kid again, or just connect with your inner child. <laughs> when you were in the classroom, you wake up, you put on your uniform or, you know, your clothes, you go to school. It's a normal day at school. You've got your notebook, your backpack, your packed lunch. Uh, you sit down, it's, your teacher's there in front of you. They're all sitting facing forward and it's just going to be a normal day until someone knocks in the door and enters with a giant circular bookshelf full of books, very different. There's a mirror in the center, and there's a letter to your cohort, to your class. And the letter, the, cent the, 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 the sender is Masami Alamer from the, from the Arctic Lighthouse. The teacher gets a little bit scared. The director says, it was sent to, to you. I don't know, arrived this morning, we didn't know what to do, so we bring it to the classroom. They read the letter together. And, and in the letter, it says that soon they will meet and they will embark on an adventure. And the first thing they have to do is to pick up a book from the bookshelf and go back to their places. They do that. They open the books. And there's nothing written in it. It's blank. Nothing. They read the covers. It's all names related to climate change. Some images about the collapsed planet and then the addition the year 2034 2047 2055 books from the future that's weird the authors of the names they cannot even pronounce it very weird but some of the books have clear codes on it they scan it they and and it takes them to a page asking are you ready to do something impossible they click yes and then it says, connecting to the Arctic Lighthouse. Come back soon. That's the end of that day. Not They discuss what's that, what happens, what should we expect? The teacher carries on with the class. They, they discuss it with the students. A week go past, and the following week, I, an impossible teacher arrives saying, I'm going to be your teacher for a period. I'm training to become a teacher, and I'm a teacher of... She teaches something really weird, something they've never, ever learned. They are a teacher about house and body, a teacher about the, the clouds, a teacher that teaches about um, uh, the, how to breathe. Many each teacher that goes in the classroom will teach a different subject. She started teaching this very non-conventional class until a light from one of the big books starts shining. It's the Arctic Lighthouse book. <gasps> oh my God. They explain to this new teacher what happened in the previous week. They explore the book. They solve the riddle on the book, which takes them to another book. <gasps> they open the book. There's a tablet inside that book. They didn't know it. They unlock the tablet and there's a video with the characters saying, are you inviting them to become agents of SOS. They have to accept it or not. If they accept it, they have to turn 
they face the, the bookshop and say, yes, we want to become SOS agents. They discuss, they watch the video again. They discuss in the group, do we want it? Do we don't want it? What's happening in the future? What do they want with us? They, they can say no, and it's absolutely fine. That never happened. They say yes. And then on the following week, they do an interview to become SOS agents. And when they become SOS agents, after the interview, they're all selected as a group. They get tags which are names of the animals from the local fauna. So each one he receives a different code name, Agent Jaguar, Agent uh, Whale, Agent uh, Wolf, different animals from the fauna they are, and they receive the diaries. And that's when the adventure starts. They have to build a map, which will take them to the portal which is next to where they are, but they don't know exactly where they will have to discover. They need to form the map and travel to that place, which is going to be a green space in their local community and activate the portal and learn how to protect it. And that's their main mission. I'm not going to go through because then there is like three or four months of episodes, but just, just a glimpse of the start of the journey yeah. in the classrooms. Uh, and then the next journey is there will be opening AR portals, playing a geocaching game, speaking to a whale language teacher, decoding whale language, and doing all sorts of different things whilst they are learning about climate change and becoming, in, getting empowered to become agents of change and communicate their ideas to the adults. Yes. Oh my goodness. You took me through a, I felt like I was there. You took me through the <laughs> super journey. I went right with you. Oh my, like that was, that was a, a great journey that you just kind of led through. Marcia, you spoke about the educational impact. I can't imagine like if I was like six or seven and I did that, that would be so impactful to me. Um, I remember being that age and just them bringing the TV with the videotape was impactful. So to to be in an immersive environment like that, can you speak a little bit about the educational impact? What are you seeing from the kids after they experience something like this? Well, we have observed a, a number of uh, 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 differences from the beginning to the end. But I, first, I would like to to tell you that we we could describe what Francini has just described in a different way, in a more technical way. We could see the. Uh, 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 what is immersive based on what she said, you, the kids become characters. You can see gamification there and active methodologies. They have to take decisions. They have to uh, uh, find out and uh, solve the enigma. And uh, then suddenly it's important to, to read because I have a letter in my hands from the future. I need the skills to read. So I'm highly motivated to do that. So then learning becomes fun and effective. Uh, how many years from now to this year in the future, we have a numeracy and uh, uh, where is the Arctic lighthouse? We have geography. Who are these animals that are, who is this animal that is in my tag name? Uh, and I have a lot to research that is aligned with the curriculum for uh Eight to nine, eight to ten years old. So then uh, we see that happening naturally, and then we observe uh, numerous impact uh, viewpoints that we can look at. Their attitudes are are changed. So suddenly, I become an agent of SOS 
that's completely different from the context I had before. So then, yes, I can do this. I have the power now. The books are blank. Who's going to write them in the, in the, in, uh, in the, uh, latest episodes? They're going to find out that they are the authors, that the books are going to reach the future with their own topics and stories. And that will make a huge difference for the future. So this is uh, uh, not only addressing climate emergency and the topics related, this is also changing their discourse, changing attitudes, and maybe action. Uh, maybe we are uh, uh, fostering some uh, uh, different positions for the future. And uh, these are very powerful outcomes. And uh, we can see in their faces, in the way they engage, in how they uh, uh, are going to act in the future. So after the project is concluded, we, uh, uh, sorry, Francine, I'll, I'll just finish here and I'll uh, uh, give you the floor. So they, they, they engage in activities such as, you know, taking care of the school premises, maintaining cleanliness uh, in their own spaces. They discuss uh, uh, the project with their family. So we have community engagement. We have parents coming to the school, parents that some, sometimes were, you know, not very interested in the educational path of their children. They are there at the final event to take a look at the books that the kids have planned for their lives. And so they, the kids become sources of information for sustainable behaviors. Naturally, we don't need to, it, it's not, you know, directly taught. It's, uh, learned it's just uh, uh, experienced and then we have other impact not only with the participants who are the kids we have the schools and the teachers who will become more confident in initiating their own projects they, in uh, uh, using the SDGs as guides exploring creativity integrating technology they learn how to use technology uh, sometimes uh, uh, just uh, navigating through Google Classroom is quite a challenge for some of the teachers. And then we have uh, public authorities who uh, show interest in training the teachers and implementing learning adventures. And as Francini mentioned before, we are currently offering a teacher training course. So, and after the project is ended, we don't have a, a more uh, direct communication with the students, but they have access to the digital platform. It has free access. They can see themselves recorded, explaining their books, their book titles, and what uh, and, uh, asking questions to the adults. What are you doing to help us in this uh, mission? So uh, they can go back and access any time. So uh, there are significant changes that we have observed. And there is room for growth because uh, Brazil is a vast country and there's a lot of work ahead of us. Yeah. Well, it really sounds like the work is, is tremendously impacting the totality of the community, whether you're an educator, whether you're the parent, uh, whether you're the youth. I'm sure at some point, maybe the janitor might, might get involved and be having a headset himself at some point. Um, you've spoken about kind of, we've spoken about the impact it's had on the youth, the impact it's had on the community, the impact it's had on the, the teachers. How does it impact both of you? Um, the work that you're doing? How does this work impact your day-to-day -day existence? Well, it's, I, I was 
have the feeling that we kind of carry a big responsibility because we created a space for 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 collaboration and we see the project um, being owned by a lot of people and I feel like we need to keep that alive <laughs> and that's a big responsibility. It took over our entire life, I would I need to say, and it's very fun. I'm like totally passionate about the work. I love playing as well. I play together. I do like we do the recording of the characters' voices and we create the scripts and we are always there. We are always there somehow. And so yes, it did have a big impact. It also impacted how we deal with the topic. We learned a lot. We realized uh how much of a lack of, of, of awareness, although I, I thought I had awareness around climate change, we I've been researching, reading, deeply researching and reading about it since we started the project more and more and learning more and more of that. Uh, so yes, I think the sense of responsibility and uh, the impact on my own attitudes. Um, yeah, I don't know about you, Marcia. Yes, and also I would add, I feel the same, and I would add that the uh, collaboration with different locations and schools has given us uh, an opportunity for, a huge opportunity for uh, growth, because uh, we are uh, more co uh, aware of cultural differences. We, uh, um, when we face the challenges that uh, takes us to a new path that we have to learn, we have to learn. Uh, we still have to learn a lot, and uh, I, but I think that the the lightness, the playfulness of the project, gives us this. Uh, you know, we feel comfortable uh, not knowing <laughs> sometimes and discovering as we go. Uh, as impact goes, we realize things that we could improve and and avenues we could uh, uh, discover and other connections to make. So it's truly, really enga uh, engaging and uh, uh, also fun to be involved with. Yeah, I can see by the smile both of you share that <laughs> you guys have um, a lot of fun. And I think that's so beautiful too, because you know, oftentimes work is not fun. So to be in a, <laughs> to be in a position to have fun and share and create I think it's such a great experience for you. So we're in 2023. Um, we're super technology driven. Uh, AI seems like it's uh, started off very small. And next thing you know, boom, you know, you can put someone's face on someone else's face and do all types of stuff. With everything growing, where do you guys uh, kind of fall in with all of that? Are you excited? Um, I can imagine and I can make an assumption that you're super excited for anything that emerges tech wise. It's only going to add to what you guys are doing in parallel to what you're doing. But do you have any concerns? Is there anything there that does there? Some people say, why are the kids in the classroom with goggles on and doing that? They should be outside. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. Where do you fall in, in, in that kind of dialogue of how tech is used with our youth? Yeah, I think for, for us, uh, we see technology as the expanded narrative. Like that's how I use. Maybe Marcy will have another way of saying that in her uh, educational, uh, in the more the educational uh, perspective. So it's the technology, technology as a means. We're not going to add anything, any technology in the experience unless it's necessary for the learning experience itself or the immersive experience. So we do use, we don't use, we haven't so far used VR, but we do use AR 
3D environments, digital platform, and a lot of technology technology um, technology is really present in our work and more and more. We've got new projects coming soon, which uses even more technology and video games and multiverse and stuff and things like that. But we are always careful. It's like it's to really reflect and say, like, why am I using that? Is it adding? Is it meaningful? Why is that? So you can use. So for thinking about, for example, technology, it can add different layers. So if I'm in the classroom, I can travel to the Arctic where the, where, and learn about it using Google Earth. Or I can play a geocaching game or a treasure hunt using an iPad. Or as, as we ha have in the experience, I can open an, an augmented reality portal to a green space, the same space which I'm going to visit in person later. So... And it is something that dialogues with the new generation. It is important as well as a digital literacy for them to engage with the new technologies. But always thinking critically, first of all, to you, to to um, to the critical, the, to, to being critical about technology. Even the students being critical and knowing why am I using that, it's is is very very important. Um, yeah, I don't know if you want to add. I wanted to say something, but I I will let you. Uh, I forgot. <laughs> you can you can carry on, Mars, and I'll try to remember what else I wanted to say. <laughs> I have one key word for us to add to what Francini said, which is the word synesthesia. We are uh, synesthetics as uh, uh, a natural way of being for humans. We are multisensory. We engage in the world in uh, different formats. Now, for example, I'm sitting. In my chair, I'm also aware of the temperature. I'm aware of the light, of the sunlight outside my window. I'm listening to your voices. I'm also anticipating my thoughts. And these are different ways of engaging. I'm relating with you through technology. And that is a way of, of relating. And uh, I know I'm not face-to-face -face with you in the same room, but I am face-to-face -face with you in the same digital room. And that uh, has differences, but it has, it is a way of doing, a way of being. And so when we add technology to this equation, we uh, find out that there are different ways, that we are multisensory and there are different ways of engaging in uh, life activities. And to, to, for example, to, we have, uh, we can have a different relationship with time and space through technology that maybe we wouldn't if we only had uh, what we had before technology. So if we think about that, some experiences become meaningful and they uh, uh, expand the possibilities, not only for education, but also for relating and also thinking about the they, what they do, what, what difference they make in our lives. Mm -hmm. So I would like to add that, that if we engage in, uh, in creating multisensory activities, they might include, include technology in a very positive way. If we uh, look at it with uh, consciousness and ethics. So this is what we are after when we uh, look at all the innovation that is ahead of us uh, regarding yeah. technology. Yeah. The last thing I'd like to add is the you know, we always worked in collaboration with other countries and we also promoted intercultural collaboration between the students. So last year, the students from Scotland and were aware of the students in Brazil and they exchanged videos 
and they joined the network of SOS agents. So they knew they were protecting local portals, but acting for a global cause with other agents around the world. So the power of, 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 of technology and of the internet of connecting, especially in a climate change, which is, it, which is an issue which demands and requires cooperation. It doesn't really matter if only one country of half of the world or planet act. We need everyone to act because it's only one planet. <laughs> so, so I think this always we so me and Marcia we collaborate. We don't live in the same city, and we collaborate with people from all over the world, and we feel the se the feel the sense of presence. You know, although we are not in the same place, we feel collaborating. We feel a, a meaningful connection. It's different from the in person, of course, but it's also meaningful. So I think uh, it also a really good tool for for exchange and intercultural exchange. Definitely, I can't imagine the co-creation process there. Is like Brazil and then adding all the other countries, and we all have different climate and different things going on, and the youth relate to things differently. So there's probably such a wealth of of information that you guys gather there. Um, firstly, I would like to thank both of you for being here with me today and sharing what you've shared with us is very inspiring. Um, that's one of the main things I got from this, two people that really took urgency in, 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 in an area that they felt had a void and really brought something to. Um, when I think about a lot of other people in that same position, some people feel stuck, some people feel like they have all these big ideas and they're unable to kind of get them to where they wanna go. And I think of your program that started similar with a big idea and just kind of exploded. What advice or what word of encouragement can you give to other people out there that have a big idea as you two had? Allow yourself to be insane and believe in that, I think. Solutions, the world needs insane ideas. We need to break the bubble. So uh, believe in that and allow yourself and invite people to co-create with you. And join a group. Don't do it alone. <laughs> there you go. I love that. Don't do it alone. Join a group. Yeah, um, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that's like. It's, it's, don't try to do it on your own. Um, lastly here, um, our podcast is called All Power to the Developing because we feel we want to give all power to those that are developing. Um what you two do is developmental in many, many ways, in many, many regards. When you hear that term, when you hear that phrase, all power to the developing, what does that bring up for you? Start with some words, maybe uh, empowering, uh, um, identifying possibilities, integrating, uh, maybe some keywords could try to reach us there. Uh, Changing dominant narratives, giving power to meaningful new ways, and um, yeah, <laughs> voices, giving voice, uh, observing, uh, measuring, um, um, having addressing important issues, and then doing it step by step. <laughs> Doing it step by step. Don't don't do too much because you know I, we've been there too. Step by step. Um, Marcia and Francine, thank you so much for being here with us today. 
if people would like to learn a little bit more about yourselves or learn a little bit more about the project, where can people visit you? Where can people find more about you, information? You can visit our website, which is www.platocultural.com or also follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Just look for Plato Cultural. Definitely. And stay up to date with all the great work and information they are providing, especially with climate change. Uh, you see how it's getting out there, so you might want to get informed really, really quick. Um, this is Desiree Wan, and I'm the host of All Power to Developing. Performing the World Happenings is happening right around the corner, September 28th to October 1st. Please visit performingtheworld.org to learn more about what we have in store for you. Get your early bird tickets. This is All Power to Developing, available on all major platforms. Please like, comment, and subscribe. We would love to know where you're listening from. If you like this episode or you like anything about any other episodes, please comment at the bottom. We would love to know what you love about the episode. Talk to us and we will read it at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And once again, all power to the developing. All power to the developing was made possible in part by Growing Social Therapeutics, the Baylor Wolf Fund.